I want to thank you for listening today. If you have not subscribed to our podcast, please do so and feel free to rate and review us as well. If you live nearby and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come visit us here at Fellowship Bible Church in Jacksonville, Texas. You can connect with us by calling or texting CONNECT to 903-586-6520. If you would like to support the ministry here at Fellowship Bible Church, we would greatly appreciate that as well. To give one time or on a regular basis, you can text GIVE to 903 903- 586-6520. If you live a ways away, we hope you would find a good Bible-believing and preaching church in your area to join and serve in and support. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you have a great week. You ever been asked to pray for someone you've never met? As believers, this happens all the time with us in the church, right? Sunday night Bible study, small group, uh, during a time of, of prayer together, we hear requests from people we know about people we don't know to pray for. You hear about people you don't know that your brothers and sisters in Christ are connected with, who, who share about uh, uh, people struggling in family relationships, people you've never met struggling spiritually, dealing with big decisions, people who are ill, people who are experiencing lost, uh, loss in their, in their lives. We, we are sometimes asked to, to pray for believers in other churches, here locally, nationally, and around the world. We have mission reports given to us about Believers we've never met struggling in other areas of the world. We're going to hear a, a mission report at the, end of, at the end of service today. Ways you can be praying. You're going to be encouraged to be in prayer for them. People we've never met that we pray for. If you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 1. We're continuing our study through the book of Colossians. Last week I introduced the book to you. And I explained that the church in Colossae was started by a disciple of Paul's named Epaphras. Epaphras is believed to have sat under Paul's preaching in and around his ministry around Ephesus. He, he did some prison time with Paul, we learn, in, in Philemon. And at some point in Epaphras' ministry, he had traveled to this city in, in Asia, Colossae, and, and administered there, and a church started there. We learned that this church had a solid start. There was a great response to the gospel in, in Colossae. Epaphras had delivered to them the message that salvation is made available to them by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone. And, and they had responded by turning from their sin and placing their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And while many in Colossae responded favorably to that message for a time, a solid church started there over time, pretty quickly, by the way. False teachers moved in and challenged the message. They, they added certain things 
to that gospel message. They believed improved upon the message and they completely altered the message. They completely messed it up. Many of these false teachers were apparently pretty influential because many of the believers in this church were being tempted to drift from Epaphras' message, the true gospel message, to embrace this false teaching. Epaphras brings word to Paul about the situation in Colossae. Paul is in Rome at the time. He's under house arrest at this time. Epaphras tells Paul about the situation and Paul writes a letter to them to correct these false teachers, their false message, and remind the true Christians at Colossae of the message that they received from Epaphras, the true message. And he encourages them not to drift from that message. That's the reason Paul writes this letter. Paul is writing to them to tell them that Christ and Him crucified has been preached to them and He is all they need. Just Jesus, Christ alone, plus nothing, minus nothing. He is the beginning of everything. He is the end of everything. He is the center of everything. This is what Paul will tell them in this letter. But first, before giving any word of correction to the Colossian Christians, before providing them with sound instruction, Paul prays for them. Is that your first response when you hear someone is veered doctrinally? Maybe they go public with it on Facebook or Twitter. Oftentimes, we want to go public as well, right? That's our first response, to correct them publicly on, on social media with a post or a tweet. We want to send them articles to show them where they're wrong. How many of you respond first by praying for them? That's where Paul begins. While he does not know them, he has never met these believers here, he prays for them. I love that Paul includes details of what he prays and why he prays in this letter because it provides for us a wonderful model for us to follow as we pray for fellow believers, those we know and those we don't. Very, very practical message here in Colossians 1, really beginning in verse 3 through verse 14. For the next two Sundays, this Sunday and next, I want to examine Paul's prayer. And I want to make personal applications for us in our own prayer lives. There are two main things I want to focus on in this passage. First, this morning, I want us to focus on why Paul prayed for the Colossians. I believe that is important. And then next Sunday when we gather, we're going to talk about what Paul prayed for the Colossians. Very, very simple, all right? And I want to look at both of these, and I want to look at the lessons we learn from both because there are a lot of lessons to learn. First, let's look at why Paul prayed for the Colossians. Why did he pray? Well, given what we've discussed so far, some of you are going to immediately think, well, the reason Paul prayed for them is because they're having troubles doctrinally, right? They're having doctrinal problems. That's why Paul prayed for them. We discussed last week and even some this morning already that these false teachers had popped up in the church and many were being tempted to drift 
from the truth of the gospel message. So many believe that's probably why Paul wrote the, why Paul prayed. We know it's why he wrote the letter, but, but some believe that's probably why he prayed a, as well. While Paul did not know them personally, he knew who knew them. He and Epaphras stayed in connection with one another. Paul had no doubt heard about their struggles, but he also heard about their great start. He mentions that here. The prayers that he prayed for them started before they were having problems. He was praying for them because of their solid start in ministry. Let me show you where we see this, and then I'll explain to you why this is important. What prompted Paul to pray was that God was doing a great work in them. Look at Colossians 1, beginning in verse 3. Paul says, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, it is bearing fruit and increasing. So they've, they've heard the message of the gospel. They've responded in repentance and faith, and it's bearing fruit. You see that? They're growing in godliness, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So, so why is Paul writing? Paul's writing because he's heard of their faith in Jesus Christ, right? And, and how it's produced fruit in their life. And he has heard of their love for one another. That's why Paul prayed. Verse 9, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. So the first thing I want you to see here is that Paul, one, he was not a one-and-done prayer partner. I want you to see that. There are a lot of those in ministry today. People who commit to pray when they're asked and do so once and never again. What Paul shares with the Christians at Colossae is that he has not stopped praying for them since he heard about them. He's been praying for them constantly. Since when? Since he heard of their faith in Christ Jesus and their love for the saints. Long before he heard about these problems, I believe. He, he says, when we, he... Timothy, Epaphras, others, when, when we pray for you, we thank God for you and his work of grace in your life. He says, from the day we heard of you, we have not stopped praying for you. Paul prayed for fellow believers, those he had never met. He did so without ceasing. He prayed for others, and get this, he prayed with others for others. That's a good practical principle for us as well. One, when you pray, don't be a one-and-done prayer partner. And when you pray, invite others to pray with you. That will encourage them. That will help you be accountable to pray. And it will benefit those you're praying for. James tells us the prayers of the righteous accomplish much. We meet each and every week here at the church, every Tuesday at lunchtime. We gather together. Great accountability great consistency together, and we, we, we lift up those in our church and those we don't know as well. We, we pray together for others. So when you pray, invite other faithful Christ followers to do so as well. Why did Paul pray? 
Let's look at it. Point number one. Paul prayed because he had heard of their faith in Jesus Christ. Look at verses 3 through 4 and then skip down to verse 9. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 9, and so, from the day we heard. Heard what? Heard of your faith in Jesus Christ. We have not ceased to pray for you. Paul prayed for them because they had forsaken their sin and they were trusting in Christ alone for salvation. He prayed for them because they were his brothers and sisters in Christ on the same path in pursuit of godliness. Believers, when we hear stories of new believers who have rejected the gods of this world to pursue the one true and living God, when we hear stories of wayward people who have forsaken sin and have died to their wants, their needs, their desires, and have fallen before the King of glory, the Lord of lords, in surrender and faith, that should prompt us to pray to God and praise Him for His amazing grace. That should prompt us to pray for them for their continued growth and godliness. Notice Paul doesn't thank the Colossians, does he? He doesn't praise them. Who does he praise? We always thank God. Great reminder to us. We're reminded all throughout Scripture. Salvation is by God's grace alone. He alone is to be praised for the work that's taken place in our hearts and lives. He is the one that we should seek for salvation. We should pray on behalf of others that God would work in their heart and life. And when non-believers come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, God alone is the one that we should praise for that salvation coming about. Salvation is a work of God alone, period, end of sentence. R. Scott Pace, in his commentary on Colossians, says this. Look at this quote. The Colossians had received the word of truth, the gospel, and were trusting exclusively in the person and work of Christ for salvation. As a result, their lives had been transformed. But Paul's prayer of gratitude did not congratulate and celebrate the Colossians. It directed praise and thanksgiving to God. And that's where ours should go. Paul prayed for them because of their faith in Christ Jesus. And he praised God for them. He praised God for the life that they had through Christ. Second reason Paul prays is that he heard of their love for the saints. Point number two, Paul prayed because he had heard of their love for the saints. Paul said in verse three, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of the love that you have for all the saints. Verse 9, and so, from the day we heard, heard what? Heard of your love for the saints? We have not ceased to pray for you. Love for our brothers and sisters in Christ and unity as a body of believers is of supreme importance to God. Remember what Jesus prayed on the night he was arrested, the night before he was crucified? It's high priestly prayer. He said in John 17, 20 and 21, I ask for those who will believe in me that they may be one, all be one, just as you. 
Father are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The world sees Christ in us when we faithfully love one another and we live together in unity as a body of believers. Jesus said this, he said, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Pace says this, Love for others is the evidence of a redeemed heart and the distinguishing mark of Christ's followers. Paul, no doubt, praised God for the love the Spirit of God had produced in the hearts of the Colossian Christians. And he no doubt prayed that love would continue to grow and that they would remain unified in Christ and continue to shine the light of God's gospel in that city and beyond in the way in which they loved and cared for one another. This should be the reason we pray, believers. And this should be why we pray. We should praise God for the love that he's already produced in us as a body of believers in the way in which we love and care for one another. But we should also pray that that love that we have for one another would grow so that people would see the love of God in us and they would see the gospel of Jesus Christ on display as we love and care for each other. We should be praying that. Are you praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ in this church to be unified? It's like one of the things we overlook for some reason. We really harp on other sins, but unity, we just pass over it as if it's not talked about in every epistle Paul wrote. Are you praying for the unity in the church? Are you you praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ that they increase in their love for each other for the sake of God's gospel message? Are you joining with Christ and praying that we be one so that the world would believe that God has sent His Son? Here's another question for you. Are you protecting unity in the church or are you a source of division? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, do you not know that you, now the you here is plural. It's very, very important. Speaking to the church. Do you not know that you, church, are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. In 1 Corinthians, Paul's addressing many problems that the Christians in Corinth were having. One of them being disunity. Paul warns him here. This passage of scripture has been terribly misunderstood. When he says, do you not know that you are God's temple? Many believe that's talking to the individual and it's about eating healthy. Eating veggie burgers and tofu. That is not the context. You, church, are God's temple. If anyone destroys you, church, God's temple, God will destroy him. You need to make sure you're not in this camp. 
but make every effort to protect unity and build up the body because as Jesus said during his earthly ministry, people see his disciples and his gospel on display through the way in which we love and treat one another. Third reason Paul prayed is because the Christians in Colossae had the hope of heaven. Paul says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Verse 9, and so from the day we heard, heard of what? Your hope for heaven. We have not ceased to pray for you. Mark Maynell in his commentary on Colossians says this, the Colossians have confidence about their future because of what is prepared and ready for them in God's eternal presence. This confidence gives them what they need to persevere. We, we talked about this quite a bit in our study through the Gospel of Luke and the teachings of Jesus. We see this a lot. God tells us the end at the beginning in our spiritual lives so we endure till the end. Don't you love that? He gives us the hope of glory so we stand strong in the present. The hope of glory, the hope of forever in the presence of the Lord with His people in a renewed and restored existence is what gives us strength to endure in this broken and fallen world in which we live. The Colossians have that. That's why Paul rejoices. Max Anders explains that the Colossian Christians possess biblical hope. They live their lives looking forward with eager anticipation and strong confidence in the sure promises of God. Look at what Anders says. He says, our hope is safe and secure, locked away in heaven, far above anything that may threaten its integrity. This confident expectation is what motivates us at present to continue trusting and continue believing to remain joyful no matter what happens in the midst of sadness to endure life's darkest trials we need this hope the colossians have this hope paul praises god that the christians at Colossae are living in light of the hope that they have, the hope of glory. And he no doubt prays that this hope will help them continue to stand and to persevere. Believers, we need to be praying this for one another. There are trials that many of you I know are enduring at this moment. There are issues that are on the horizon that will crush you without God's help and this great hope. Of glory. Think of the hardships Paul himself endured. He kept his eyes fixed on what awaited him. That's what helped him stand. That's what helped him endure till the end. He says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is why Paul prayed. 
for the Christians at Colossae. He prayed because God had done a work and was doing a work in them. Paul began praying for them when he heard of their faith in Jesus Christ. He did not pray when, when, when he heard they were miserable, when he heard they were in trouble. He didn't say, when I, when I received word that you were struggling spiritually, that's when I started praying for you. No, he said, when we heard how the Spirit of God was working in your lives, when we heard about how you responded to the true gospel message you received from Epaphras, when we heard about the hope of glory that you had laid hold of, when we heard about the fact that you were faithfully loving God and loving one another, when we heard of your hope of heaven, that is what prompted us to pray for you. When we heard that the Spirit of God was working in your midst, we immediately started praying. We prayed for you. We prayed for you continually without stopping. We need to be praying in this way for one another. Pace in his commentary again on Colossians writes this. Paul's gratitude for their faith in the first section spawned prayers of intercession on the Colossians' behalf. Because of their adoption into God's family and their simultaneous appointment into his service, Paul petitioned the Lord to reveal his will for them while praying that they would have the spiritual eyes necessary to discern it. The apostles' concern did not stem from the rise of false teaching. It had been consistent all along. He had not stopped praying for them since the day he had become aware of their faith so interesting we we learn from paul here that when the spirit of god is working in the hearts and lives of believers that is to be motivation for us to pray for them when we hear of a new believer who has been escorted to Christ. We witnessed a baptism a few weeks ago. When we, when we witness this, when we learn of, of believers who are, who are being escorted to the Lord Jesus Christ, when they're being established in truth, when they're growing in godliness, when we receive word that fellow believers have answered the call to go and serve God on a mission trip or to lead a Bible study or share Christ with a loved one or, or answer the call to go and serve the Lord in full-time ministry that should prompt us to pray for them so often our prayer requests are only in response to disaster afflictions difficulties illnesses and spiritual struggles not that we should not pray for those things we absolutely should but our prayers should not stop when we learn someone's doing good spiritually We learn when the Lord is doing a work in the heart and life of a faithful Christ follower, whether we know them or not, that should motivate us to pray for them. Colossians 1.9, Paul says, And so from this day, from the day we heard, heard of your faith in Christ, your love for one another, and the hope you have for heaven, we have not ceased to pray for you. Look at this quote by Lig Duncan when commenting on this verse. I love this quote. Every spiritual work is a motivation to prayer, not a discouragement of it. Remember that. When we see God at work, when we hear of him working in the heart and life of a believer, that should be a reminder to us 
that we need to pray. We need to praise God for that work in their heart and life, and we need to pray for that work to even increase in that, in that believer's life. Why? For their growth and godliness, for the betterment of a household, for the building up of the church, for the advancement of God's gospel, and because those are the people that Satan and his demons target. The enemy doesn't waste time with believers that are sidelined. He doesn't. He focuses on those who are in the game to try and sideline them. That's what's happening in Colossae. When you are faithful doing what God has called you to do, you better believe that spiritual attacks are coming. And you better be prayed up. You better have other faithful believers praying for you. The Colossian Christians were, were being targeted by the enemy through these false teachers because the Lord was doing a work in their midst. Which reminds us of something else. Just because you have saturated a work of ministry and prayer does not mean that you're not still vulnerable to attack. This church had been planted by a disciple of the Apostle Paul himself. The Christians at Colossae had both Paul and Timothy and others praying for them without ceasing, yet they still came under attack. If that's true of them, guess what? That'll be true of you and me and this church. Do not believe... Those prosperity, theology, health and wealth charlatans who teach that if you're faithful, it's smooth sailing from here. That is a lie. And not true of the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Where's he writing from? Was he not faithful? Absolutely. Paul prayed for the Christians at Colossae because God was doing a work in their hearts and lives. Paul prayed for them because they were trusting in Christ for salvation, loving one another unconditionally. Here's the simple application for us. I've already given it to you a few times already, but listen. If Paul did this for a group of Christians he had never met, so should we. Are you praying for our missionaries and, and, and our mission teams as they go and serve on the field? Are you praying for the persecuted church? Are you praying for other Bible-believing, preaching churches in this community and beyond? For believers you've never met, but know through your brothers and sisters in Christ, you need to be praying. You need to be praying for family and friends of your church family. When they call upon you to pray, you need to be faithful to pray for them. Here's another point of application. If Paul did this for a church that he had never visited, listen, how much more so should we do it for those we see in here each and every week? Look around you right now. Throughout this room, are followers of Jesus Christ who are pursuing godliness. Men and women God is using in ministry. Your challenge this week is to be praying for them. Pray for them. Make a list of names that you know that God is using and pray for them. Pray for them because God is working in their hearts and lives. Pray for the pastoral staff. Please pray for us. Pray for me, pray for Ron, Bill, pray for Cody, 
Pray for others in ministry. Pray for Kevin. Pray for the leaders in this church. Pray for our Sunday night Bible study leaders. Pray for our teachers who are teaching our kids on Sunday morning and doing the sermon-based teaching on, on Sunday night. Pray for Patty as she selects our music and leads our musicians in our song service to lead us in our our song service together pray for 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 women in this church who are teaching and leading and discipling other women pray for men who are doing that as well pray for our family shepherds those in the home discipling their kids pray i'm going to pray for us here in just a moment But before I do, I want to extend the invitation to others to join this family that I've been talking about, this family of faith. Maybe you're here this morning and you believe you're a part of the family of God because you attend church with His people each and every week. Listen, you could faithfully attend for every Sunday for the rest of your life and that would not move you one step closer to being a child of God and a brother and sister in Christ. The only way that happens is by faith alone in Christ alone. You like the Colossian Christians must forsake your sin. You must place your faith and trust in Christ alone. Christ came for this reason. He he came because he's the only hope for our rescue. While God created us and made us male and female in his own image to glorify him, we rejected and ignored God in the world he created and we failed to be and do what he required. We set ourselves against him in sin and instead of God bringing his just hand of judgment down on us, he showed his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, he sent Christ to die for us. Christ became one of us to do for us what we could never do on our own. He obeyed God perfectly. He suffered in this life and in his death for us. He laid his perfect life down in order to give his perfect life over to us in exchange for our sinful life and faith. He rose again so that he could raise us to new life in him. And the question I want to leave you with today is this one, are you trusting in Him, in Christ, alone for your salvation? The only way for you to be forgiven, the only way for you to be restored to God, to a right relationship with the living God, is through faith alone in Christ alone. If you have not, there's your invitation right there today. Forsake your sin, place your faith and trust in Christ alone for your salvation, and be saved today. Let's pray together.